Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Freeman. And for our next episode, I'm excited to have Matt Ford join us. Matt lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and has worked in IT sales for 12 years. He is currently the regional sales director at Dell EMC. And I'm really, uh, I'm really excited to learn from Matt today. So Matt, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Happy to be here. Pleasure is all mine. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your, uh, your background in tech sales? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I've spent uh, the past uh, 12 years in sales and sales leadership companies at both Dell MC and HPE. And it's been a fun ride for me. I started off as an inside sales rep here in our Nashville office, cold calling customers right after the 2008 recession, trying to figure out why they weren't buying from us. And boy, was that fun. I spent a year doing that role and decided to jump into the more technical side. So moved on to the technical side, covering the data center, servers, networking, storage, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I realized very quickly that I wanted to get into leadership. So quickly moved into a leadership role, moved down to Austin, Texas to, to spend some time at the mothership leading teams down there, moved back to Nashville and uh, became a field seller. And now, as you mentioned, I'm a regional sales director for our field teams out in uh, Ohio, West Virginia, and Kentucky, but still based here in Nashville, Tennessee. All right. Well, let's go way back to the beginning. So inside sales. So you know, not everybody starts in inside sales when they get into sales within the high-tech arena. How did that inside sales role impact how you worked, sold? Yeah, it gave me a lot of respect for what the folks on the inside do. Um, and for most of our listeners out there, they probably know some kind of inside BDM type role. And uh, in, in Dell, that's, that's cold calling customers, that's processing orders, that's creating quotes, that's fixing things on the back end when they ship to the wrong address and stuff like that. Um, so it gave me a lot of respect for how many plates those folks spend. Um, but as I transitioned into the field, I realized it was a different selling motion. So while you're always selling, it's more strategic, longer term conversations, really trying to help customers plan out versus kind of an inside role. You're smiling, dialing, trying to get meetings and uh, really just trying to keep the ship afloat. I will say in my time there, I had by far the best uh, salesperson I've ever come across as my first leader. And man, that really just set a precedent for what good sales looks like and what good leadership looks like as well. So I wouldn't replace it for the world, but I certainly don't want to go back to uh, that daily grind that I had at the first of my career. Was that sales rep, was he including you in meetings, letting you listen in on calls, making you part of the team? Yeah. So he, he was actually my leader at the time. Um, so he really, day one, we were his first team um, that he had ever led. He put in front of us scripts, what good looks like, vocabulary that we could read. I remember he gave me a book by um, some political pundit that studies like words they use in political campaigns and things like that. I think it's Frank Lutz. Um, but it really started getting me to understand like when you use words like love and the way you emphasize it, people are drawn to you versus, yeah, I think 
this would be cool if you in, introduce this into your environment and that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, he's one of the best leaders and uh, sales reps I've ever had the opportunity to work with. I love that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, I'm excited yeah. since you said that. Yeah, you know, I get to tell you, I, so I started off as an inside sales rep calling all across the West down into Texas. And I just think, you know, today people talk about building pipeline, but you can't build any pipeline until you get a conversation going with the customer, maybe until you get a meeting. And that skill of every day creating the habit and creating the muscle to come into the office, make the calls, maybe you get hung up on, you get some rejection, but you have to focus on the good that comes out of it not the negative that comes out of the, out of that rejection. And that's just that, that callous that, you know, as a first time salesperson, if you can build that, get comfortable and more importantly, like maybe gamify it and just have fun with the yep. process. And that's going to set you up for success long-term. Yeah. And since you mentioned that, that brought to my mind that one of the things he did was like create a team scorecard. So we had a bunch of different things on there, right? We had revenue because I mean, obviously we're salespeople, so revenue matters. But they had like calls you made, how much you were on the phone, all those sorts of little things that made you successful, the leading at indicators, not the lagging indicators. So I think the, the more you can gamify it, but whatever you need to do to remain consistent in the things that get you to be successful is the most important thing. Yeah, I do get asked sometimes by people that want to get into tech sales and they ask me, where do I start? And I'll tell them, you know, go get an inside sales job. You know, in some cases, they've been doing field sales somewhere else. And they feel like it's a step down, but you, you made the earlier point, it's hard enough to do the tech sales. It's even harder sometimes to navigate in a company, especially a big company like a Dell EMC or an HP. And if you go spend a year in the inside sales and you meet everybody, you learn the process, that's the stuff that holds you back sometimes from going fast in your role. That's it. And when, when I was on the inside and I transferred over to a more technical role, we had weekly what we called lunch and learns where somebody would sponsor lunch and they would teach us about the product. So being able to turn around and ask somebody like, I have no idea what a node is. Can you tell me what this is or this protocol or that protocol, et cetera? I mean, that's invaluable. And while I certainly have seen folks go from out of industry into technology sales in the field and be successful, their ramp curve is so much higher. And then the second point I would say is, I mean, Dell Technologies now is 150,000 people across six continents. I mean, just knowing how to navigate the machine sometimes can make you really, really successful. And, and regardless of the size of company you're at, unless you're a company of two or one, uh, learning how to navigate processes and the way the, the machine is made is certainly helpful. Yeah, I agree. Well, so you talked about wanting to get into leadership. So why in the world would you want to do that? You know, I think it stems back from when I was in college, I um, coached a couple of youth sports teams. And actually, when I graduated college, I moved to Nashville and got my master in sport administration. I thought that I was going to go be a, an athletic department director at some school or a, a college football coach or something like that. And I coached at a local high school too. And I don't know, I just, I always love seeing folks finally grasp their full potential. To see and achieve their full potential was something that really, really motivated me. And I've been very, very fortunate to have really good leaders around me my entire life, from high school to college to the folks I was coaching under when I graduated college and I was coaching at a local high school to all the leaders I've had at Dell Technologies. I mean, I've just been very fortunate to have good leaders. And when you have that, you see the impact that it can have on you personally and professionally. I just wanted to be that person. Um, so I hope I fulfill that role for some people out there, um, but it just made me, inspire me to, to want to help others see and achieve their highest potential. 
Yeah. I'm curious about some, I've always felt like I've had good leaders as well, but you know, I wonder how much of that is being a good subordinate, you know, um, making it easy for that leader to lead. Yeah. I, uh, I've had some bad leaders too. Uh, so I'm not going to say that I've all had all good uh, rosy days inside and outside. I think understanding what your leader needs can help you be a good team member or subordinate or something like that for sure. But also I just saw them approach people differently depending on what they needed and where they were that inspired me to want to be that for another person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, you know, and when you get a good one like that, you want to, uh, you know, learn as much from them as you can. Right. And it's fun to be part of their team. So, okay. So you wanted to be a leader. You took the step to move to Austin. Um, that's a big move, right? It is. It is. Any, any fears, concerns, any risk associated with that? Yeah. I mean, at the time I was single. Um, well, no, I wasn't single. I quickly became single after I made that decision. But not really. I was going to follow a leader who was a skip level for me. So she was two levels above me. And I had the opportunity to work directly for her. And she had the skill set that I needed if I were going to grow my career professionally, if I was going to grow as a person. And that skill set was the empathy and the way she talked to you. It just made you feel so special, like you were the only person in the room that I knew I needed that and wanted that. So moving to the headquarters was a good opportunity for me to not only grow my brand and my network, but to work directly for somebody that I had such a high regard for and respect for and could learn something for that it just made sense at the time. And that's what I would tell anybody out there that's listening to this, that's newer in their career. People make career decisions because of family, finances, or skills. When you're early in your career, always go for the skills. Always go for the skills. I talked to you about when I moved from a sales rep to a more technical role, that was a lateral move. And I turned down a, a, another offer that would have been like a 25% raise at the time. And I did that because I thought, hey, if I really understand what's going on in the data center, then not only will I be more valuable to my company, to my customers and the things that I'm doing every single day, but all of a sudden, like I'm more valuable to Google, to Facebook, to Microsoft, to all these other different companies as well. Um, so if you're early on in your career and you see you had the opportunity to go work for a leader where you can learn from them um, and gain skills in the process, go do it 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're very intentional about each of those steps. Try to be. Try to be. Yeah. And look, it's not, we don't always end up in the perfect situation. So maybe you're not working for that perfect leader, but there are going to be fantastic people on the team that you can leverage. And so um, take advantage of that. Maybe I, I think back to when I was, uh, I had my first uh, field sales role here in Portland, Oregon, and there was a, an older gentleman in the office who uh, I was like a puppy dog. I'd follow him around, ask him questions. And he, you know, he was nice enough to let me go and ride along. Actually, I wasn't in a field sales role. I think I was still in inside sales, but he would let me go and ride alongs with him. And I'd go to his rotary or uh, I went to his Toastmaster meetings. And I, I mean, it was just an eye opener because I saw how he acted in front of customers. And I just really didn't I'd been on the phone the whole time. I didn't have a concept of that face-to-face engagement and the type of conversations they were having. And after seeing it, I realized I could do that. You know, and it just yep. kind of, my confidence grew as a result of it. And at the time, I don't remember, even remember who my manager was, but I grabbed onto that individual and really just sucked him for information. And he was gracious enough to, to give it to me. Yeah, it, it's funny you mentioned that because when I moved down to Austin, one of our field AEs, so I managed the inside team and I had a, another peer that managed the outside team. and. Um, 
one of our field AEs was by far one of the most structured, most organized, best AEs I think I've seen. And when I went to go visit him in territory to do those ride-alongs, I mean, he showed up to with when I showed up, he had like a book ready. These are the customers we're going to see. This is what we're going to talk about. Here's some back notes and history of it. Read this when we're on the way. Ask me any questions that you have. It really it. just showed me, wow, like how good you can be and how much you can learn. And that's another thing I'd say is like leadership is bi-directional, right? Leadership in my role just means that I have a different set of responsibilities, but we're all trying to achieve the same goal. And that's to make sure that you get to your number. Cause if you get to your number, then I get to my number. So leadership is bi-directional. And even though like I was technically a leader and he was a field AE, I was learning from him just like I was teaching him about how things move on the inside and how processes work and things like that. So yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right, well, let's shift gears a little bit, get down into the meat and potatoes of, uh, of selling. So you've uh, been a rep, uh, you now manage a team. So you've had an opportunity, you've had your own success, and then you've had team members on your team uh, do well. Uh, you know, what, are you, what are you seeing right now that separates the great reps from the rest of the pack? So there's two things. One, I think is foundational for anything that you're trying to achieve in life. And that's just consistency. Like, how do you put time on your calendar to do the things that you know will lead to success, even if you don't want to do them? And I would encourage everyone that if you have that 30-minute block on your calendar, and it's just not going to work that day, that you at least do five minutes. Because what you're teaching yourself is the habit of doing the right things. And that is more important than actually doing them. Um, the second thing I would say is we live in a very, very interconnected, complex world today. And it's real, you're not selling to the individual that you're calling on. You're selling to your boss, your peers, different business units that support that person, et cetera. And you have a number of different resources now than you might not have before. So I know at Dell, we have 20 people that can call on a single customer. I'm sure at your company, it's the same thing. So even if you're not in that situation, how do you use all of the resources that you have to get everyone that's going to touch this deal aligned and marching towards the same agenda is probably one of the most underrated, complex skills that you need to have in today's environment. I'm going to give you a book recommendation. The book is Team of Teams by Stanley McChrystal. And if you haven't read it, I'll just summarize it. Stanley McChrystal grew up in the Green Berets, the baddest of the bad. He is a bad mother foe and like they get dropped into these special situations to take out the bad guy and then they're out. But as McChrystal grows in his career, he's now the general and he's dropped into Iraq and he's in charge of leading a multi-organizational force to fight a very disorganized but effective uh, enemy. So he's got to get the army, the Navy, the CIA, all on the same page, but then he's got to get the FBI, the politicians, and all them on the same page. And oh, by the way, the Iraqis want a, a say in this because it's their country. And he just talks about like how he was able to shift through that. I'm an individual operator. I'm leading a specialist organization of individual operators to now I'm in charge of the whole shebang. And how do I make sure that everybody's aligned to the agenda and the goals that we're trying to accomplish? Love it. It's... um. Actually, one of my other guests was recently talking about something similar in terms of uh, you know leveraging your internal resources, and you know sometimes I'm surprised that more reps don't do it. It's uh, you, know, you think about it as a leader, right? How many times have you heard other leaders say, "Put me in. Where do you need mm -hmm. me? How can I help?" 
And uh, there's lots of willingness to help out there. But, you know, it does require extra work for the rep. You have to be ready. You have to have an account plan. You got to map in the right people. You got to be clear on the strategy and the objectives. You've got to do your homework. But man, the, uh, you know, once you rally those resources, the job gets easier. That, that deal gets easier. Yep. And I tell my team all the time, because we came from an organization pre-merger that was like the specialist organization. We carried around boxes of storage in our cars and drove around to customers, whipped it out on the table, showed them everything, played around with it, showed the interface, all that kind of stuff. We had to know everything. Then we went home at night grabbed the bourbon and we're quoting at nighttime, that sort of stuff. So now we've got so many resources. You need to understand where your customer is, where they're trying to go, who's in charge and, and makes influential decisions, and then map out our resources to help them get there wherever they're trying to go. Hello, sales pros. I hope you are enjoying the High Tech Freedom Podcast. If you are interested in learning more about passively investing in multifamily real estate, you can download our educational ebook at hightechfreedom.com. While there, you can also sign up for our newsletter where we will provide insights on real estate investing, as well as sales tips so that you can continue to crush it in your high-tech sales role. Now, I often hear people say, eh, I'll get to that later, or uh, I'll read that book later. Well, there's no time like the present to improve your knowledge. So I hope you take advantage of at least the newsletter. In the meantime, please reach out if I can help out in any way. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, you know, and then you mentioned the consistency and the habit. How does your experience as a triathlete kind of come in for you personally? How does that, uh, I imagine that has some impact on consistency and habits. Yeah. So I am an Ironman triathlete, which is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, 26.2 mile run. Yes. It's all on a single day. Yes. It's all on a single event. I'm just a glutton for punishment. I think that's truly where I learned consistency more than anything is through the sport. Because I like to say that, you know, LeBron James, with all due respect is 6'10, 215, a solid muscle. And the dude puts in a lot of work and he's incredibly hardworking and gifted. But at the end of the day, when he's got that kind of frame and athletic ability, he was going to be an athlete somewhere, right? I think he even had scholarships to play football and, and all that kind of stuff. When I show up to an Ironman for that kind of a long distance race, the person that beats me on that day just put in the effort. Like nobody is, I mean, there's some athletics that you need to be able to run, bike and swim. I'm not going to take that away from it, but they just put in more time than me. And that's what I see is like when I show up to these races and, and I get beat, it's I was a cross country runner in college kind of thing. So I don't know, it, it really helped frame the, it's not, you'll never be able to replace missing a workout. You can't double up the next day and it just all of a sudden now you're back to even. That's where I go to the, every day I do a workout and it might be a five minute yoga, but I do a workout. Um, so if you're trying to get in this process, what's that five-minute task that you can commit to every single day and then just let it grow to a 10-minute, to a 15-minute, to a 20-minute? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, such a great point. I heard it was, uh, I think it was a sales conference. Maybe it was a big customer symposium type of thing where we had um, Michael Phelps speak. 
And he was talking about his training that led up to that final Olympics where he blasted out, I don't know, like 10 medals or whatever it was, something incredible. But he said he trained for six years straight, didn't miss a day. And there were some days that weren't great, but he didn't miss a day because to your point, right, you take a day off, he can't replace it. You know, and every day is just an incremental improvement in what he's doing. So I had a goal this uh, last year, and I'm working on the same goal this year of doing 30,000 push-ups. And, you know, don't, I don't bring this up to brag, but my point is that somebody was asking me, you know, how did you get to 30,000 push-ups? I said, well, I started with a goal of 10,000, you know, a few years before, right? So it's not like I went out of the gate to say, I'm going to do 30. I started with something real small, and I just consistently was doing 20 a day or 30 a day. You know, now there's days where I don't want to do it. So maybe I don't quite do the full 100 or 120 I want to do it a day, but maybe I bust out 30. You know, I did something to kind of keep it going. And that habit, now I don't even really have to think about it too much. It's just a total habit. Can I, um, I, I want to try to pull an analogy here and I don't, I'm not sure if it's going to work. So just bear with me. I talk a lot about in people's careers that they need to go build these skill sets for the jobs that they want. So ultimately map out the third job from now that you want. And what are those skill sets that you're going to need for that job? And then the next job you take needs to have some of that skill set so that you can start building to it, right? And I talk about like, I'm not saying you can't go from where you are to that third job, from where I am right now as a regional sales director to president of the company or CEO of the company, right? But if I do get there, I'm not going to have the foundation to be successful during choppy times and the fall is going to be more dramatic. So here's my analogy. I always said, look at Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg is one of the few people that was almost an overnight success. Now, I, I'll give him some credit. He did put in the work and moved out to Silicon Valley and did all those sorts of things. So I'm not discrediting him. But as you see through his history, there was that famous Recode conference where he's being grilled on privacy back in 2006 or eight or something like that. And he's sweating bullets and can't handle it. And now look at him. I mean, Meta Facebook is, is on the verge of being an extinct company, I think, in the next decade if they don't, if they don't succeed in the metaverse. Now, they're still printing cash, so I'm not going to say that they're a bad company. But now take that and look at like Sachin Della, who is the CEO of Microsoft, who I think is by far one of the best CEOs and underrated CEOs out there. I mean, he started as a product level group guy, then moved up into the Windows Server division, then moved up into Azure. And now he's the CEO of the company and Microsoft has exploded because he's been through those ups and downs and has that foundational skill. So maybe that's the game, right? If you're trying to get in this consistency habit of doing the things that you don't want, just keep in mind that those consistent actions are putting the foundation for your future success. Yeah. Building you up for the next role. Yep. Yep. I love it. Well, let's, uh, I, I'm curious. So, you know, nowadays uh, we, we talk a lot about building pipeline with my team and, you know, any successful tech sales rep needs to constantly be building quality pipeline for long-term success. What are you seeing out there right now? Is there any um, trick, tip, something that's working to build incredible quality pipeline? A couple of things I'd say on this is one, take care of your first customers, right? If you have customers, those are the easiest ones to get pipeline from. You want to make sure you're over bending over backwards to make sure you help those customers. They always say like it's easier to keep a customer than to acquire a customer. So once you get a customer, make sure you're caring and feeding them and having consistent touch points that add value to them, whatever that looks like in your role. And I would consider that like a weekly or at least at, at most a biweekly touch point with them. The second thing is 
I think more and more, as I was kind of talking about it earlier, the person who you're really selling to is behind the person that you know inside of an account. So in my world, that's a lot of like chief data officers, chief marketing officers, and folks like that who have budget to spend and aren't aware that you probably have solutions to go help them achieve. And then the last one I would say is really about knowing your customers and bringing value to them outside of the products that you sell. And so here's what I mean by that. Um, first leader I had, the, one of the best sales reps I've ever seen, we were in an acquisition division calling on customers that hadn't spent from us in three years, I think it was, in the 2008 recession. And his famous line that almost had 100% success rate is, I want to give you an update on what we think would be valuable for you that we could offer. And I promise I won't spend any of the time talking about something that plugs in the wall. And so all of a sudden, customers are thinking, hey, Dell Technologies, they sell computers, they sell servers, they sell storage, like they're going to try to pitch me on products. No, I just want to kind of give you a framework of what's going on in the industry that you're in today from our experts that cover all these different customers across the world and talk about how we're adding value to them. And if there's something that you find valuable in there, we can happily explore that. And if not, then, you know, I just wasted an hour of your time, I guess, but. Yeah. But if you're doing that week after week with your accounts, you know, at, you know, doing your normal sales calls, doing your normal product overviews and having meetings where you are doing something where you're investing in adding value and, and investing in that account, you know, that's going to build deeper re relationships. It's going to uncover opportunities that you weren't able to uncover in the traditional kind of discovery mode of questioning. Yeah. And that's, that's going to, that's going to create a very loyal customer base and open up all kinds of opportunities. So yeah, I like it. Yeah. And that's assuming, by the way, that you've already subscribed to their LinkedIn page, that you've already read their 10K, that you've already set up Google alerts for the account and all of the basics stuff that you should be doing anyways. Yeah. But hey, sometimes the best salespeople are the people that execute the basics really, really well. I mean, it's not, uh, that's right. You don't have to go out and re-innovate some of this stuff. You know, if you go out and just kick butt on the basics, that's a great place to start. Yeah. Um, I'm going to butcher this quote, but I read it the other day. It's by Napoleon who said, genius on the battlefield is understanding the things that need to be done that are simple and fundamental when everyone else is losing their heads. Yeah. So true. Well, Matt, so once you go out there and kick butt, make that commission, you know, what are you doing? If you don't, don't mind me asking, what are you doing to reinvest some of those harder commission dollars to create some of the uh, long-term freedom? I think we, we were originally connected because I found real estate and I found this love and passion for finances and investing that weirdly looking back on it, I've always had, but never realized how strong of an itch it was until I started scratching it. So I've got a number of different stories of how I've taken my commission check, put them into passive investments like apartment syndications, self-storage syndications, fix and flip funds, things like that that allow me to smooth out the ups and downs of a commission cycle. So I think anybody that's listening to this podcast knows you're going to have really, really good quarters. You're going to have pretty bad quarters. And how do you smooth out that income is through your investments and taking a portion of that, making sure that you're buying cash flowing assets over the long term. So um, that's essentially how I've set up my success and, and really found a, a true passion around it as well. Yeah. Any one of those particular asset classes that you like, really like right now? So I'm big into real estate. I think real estate is the number one generational wealth changing 
asset class out there. Now, you can argue cryptocurrencies and, and uh, Bitcoin and tokens and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I would listen to that argument. But what I look for are cash flowing, generating assets that appreciate over time, that offer some sort of tax benefits that I can get leverage to go secure. So those are like my four criteria that I look for before I go make an investment. Over the long term, I would love to nerd out on some cryptocurrency and where I think that's going. But um, yeah, that's I think once I set the foundation of my portfolio, then I'll kind of explore more of those areas. Yeah, I know some people that uh, are investing in some. Um, they're not investing in cryptocurrency, but they're investing in the real estate or the data centers to you know to go out and uh, create the uh, environment for the miners to set up their systems to go create the, the Bitcoin. But on the real estate front, are you focused on apartments or right now well, uh, storage units or is a certain sector of real estate that's, that you're finding attractive? Yeah, the two areas that I focus on the most are like fix and flip. So primary, my, my money is the loan for somebody to go fix and flip assets or houses. So essentially, I don't want to fix and flip houses. I've done that a few times. I've done the birth strategy a few times. Um, and it just took too much time for me to be successful at that be successful in Ironman and be successful at work. Um, so I moved more into the private lending space around though. And what I like about those are they're usually high interest and they're short term. Mm -hmm. They're six month notes. So if somebody doesn't pay, I know within six months that I have a risk mitigation strategy that I can go take over the asset, rehab it myself, um, or they can extend it for another six months, but it's quicking, it's a quick turn on your money. In terms of my buy and hold, it's all multifamily right now. I'm exploring a couple different asset classes as well, like mobile home parks and self-storage. But right now it's, it's mostly focused on multifamily. Interesting. Okay. How do, you, um, how do you find the people to lend the money to? So through a number of different things. One, I started a podcast in early 2021 um, called Ice Cream with Investors. And that by far has opened up so many doors to so many folks that it is by far the best thing I think I've done in my personal life to kind of expect uh, grow myself, grow my brand, and grow my wealth. And through that, so you'll run into some folks that need money short term from time to time, or they've heard of folks that need money from time to time, et cetera. All right. All right. So listeners, go check out his podcast, Ice Cream. What was it called? Ice Cream with Investors. Ice Cream with Investors. I like it. All right. Well, as we wrap it up, Matt, um, what do you do to give back? So we were chatting a little bit before the show. My sister was born with Down syndrome and one of the most amazing human beings of all time. And really, it taught me to be humble and appreciative of all the great things that I have, even on my bad day, got full functioning of my body, um, my mind, I'm able to go pursue the things that I'm super passionate about uh, and help others in that process. So really, that, that stemmed from Whitney and seeing kind of how she had to live her life. Uh, unfortunately, Whitney passed in March of 2018. And the organization that really kind of helped take care of Whitney for the, the last decade of her life is called Humankind in Lynchburg, Virginia. And so I just make sure my company has a matching program that they'll, they'll match dollar for dollar up to a certain amount to any charity or 506C that you donate to if they're in the system. Um, so I went and set up some stuff there to where it siphons a little bit out of my paycheck each month. And then if I get to the end of the year and I've had some good windfalls, then I just make sure that they get a portion of it. Not Maybe not enough as I should, but just something that keeps her, her memory top of mind for me. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. So um, 
make sure you get me the link for that uh, charity and we'll, we'll include that in the show notes. And you mentioned something there that I don't think a, you know, a lot of people do. It's, you know, we all, um, we can give with cash, we can give with our finances, we can give with time. Sometimes we get really busy. You know, one easy way to uh, impact the world is just making a financial donation. And sometimes we say, we're going to get to it. We'll do it later. And next thing you know, later comes and goes and you haven't done it. Man, just setting it up as an auto withdrawal from your paycheck, even if it's a little a bit, man, a little bit every two weeks out of every paycheck can add up. And then your company will do the automatic matching. You just doubled it. Um, so I would uh, just challenge listeners to go explore whatever is important to you. Check it out. I, I've done it with one charity that I uh, that I like to donate to, and it just it makes I love it because I don't have to go back in and redo the matching every time I give. It's a pain. It's just automatic, and I don't have to. Yep. I don't have to deal with it. So yeah, and even if your company won't do that in their payroll system, you can set up a sweep account. So uh, part of my investment strategy is I have Vanguard go grab a portion of what's in my savings account every two weeks and put it in the market. I mean, you could set up stuff like that for your charities as well. So. Yeah. Great advice. Well, Matt, is there anything else that you would like to share with the sales pros out there? Um, No, I think we touched a lot on consistency. The only thing we didn't touch on that maybe I would um, just briefly highlight is your brand is the most important asset you have in your career, both from a sales perspective, but also internally in your company. I would encourage folks to think about how do they build their brand and how do they network their brand and tell people about it. If, if you're not clear on what you want, and if you're not telling people with inside your company what you want, then they're going to dictate that for you. So if you have aspirations out there of being in leadership or moving to a specialist role or things like that, go build a brand, tell people about your brand, and that's the easiest way to go do that. Don't be shy. They won't know it unless you say it. That's right. Matt, if uh, somebody would like to get hold of you, how can they connect? Yeah, so two ways. Um, one, I'm on, active on LinkedIn. So you can type in Matt4 on LinkedIn and see my smiling mug up there from Nashville, Tennessee. And then also Ice Cream with Investors, the podcast. It's been a phenomenal journey for me to learn from other technology sales professionals who are, who are investing in real estate and how they're doing it, as well as some operators out there that explore all the different niche out there. I used to think that when I heard real estate, it was only fix and flips that you see on HGTV. But as I've kind of gone on this journey, I've learned it's so much more than that. So my goal is to have interesting conversations with interesting folks and hopefully expose the listeners to different niches that they could be out there. And if they say, hey, that sounds like something I would be really interested in, be able to make that connection for folks so they can uh, continue down their journey. Yeah, I love it. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time today. It was really nice to, to catch up. Absolutely. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.